I've used a term a few times on the Life Repurpose podcast that I'd like to spend this episode clarifying, deconstructing faith. We will look at what it means, some misconceptions, some positive and negative outcomes, and why in the world I'm talking about it. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals, plus tools and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. Have you ever faced life's curveballs and felt as if you were in pieces? There's no need to be a Bible expert. This book meets you right where you are. So what's inside? Over six weeks, you'll dig into the Apostle Paul's story and his timeless letters, no fancy degree required. You'll explore thought-provoking questions and reflections, and go a little further with micro-studies throughout the week. Renewed is like a roadmap to rediscovery, renewal, and the kind of joy that sneaks up on you in the midst of life's messiness. It's like catching up with a friend who's been through it and wants to share their hard-earned wisdom. Themes such as redeemed, restart, repurpose, revive, rejoice, and repeat light the way, showing you how to find beauty in the cracks and grace in the chaos. It's sprinkled with humor, relatable examples, and a healthy dose of soul-searching, and this book is your partner in spiritual growth. Whether you're flying solo or diving in with a group, Renewed has you covered. And don't worry, I left plenty of space for your notes, scribbles, and doodles. Ready to take a journey toward renewal, hope, and some serious soul-soothing? Grab your copy of Renewed, then get comfy, and let's dig in. Merriam-Webster defines the word deconstruct in several ways. First, deconstruct is a verb. One meaning is to discuss, as in a work of literature, using the methods of deconstruction. Another is to take apart or examine, as an accepted view, in order to reveal the basis or composition, often with the intention of exposing flaws, inconsistencies, or problems in construction. It can also mean to analyze and criticize in that context. The third one is to adapt or separate the elements of something for use in an ironic or radically new way. Think of clothing and fashion when you think of this one. The final one here is to take apart or demolish something, especially for reuse of its parts. Now, notice how that fourth one indicates demolition, but not in the way we might think, and none of them talk about destruction. These are not the same words as the word deconstruct, and yet sometimes and in some contexts, we might hear of it in a way that makes it sound like deconstructing is demolishing or destroying something. So with those definitions in mind, let's talk about these in the sense of faith. Deconstructing faith is a process through which individuals critically examine and reevaluate their belief systems, often within the context of religious or spiritual beliefs. 
This process can be part of self-discovery, it can lead to deeper understanding of ourselves and the world, and it can lead to deeper faith. Before I talk about how it typically unfolds, I'd like to use an example from my own life. My world was very small growing up. It consisted of my family, my church, my Christian school, and my friends, which came from my church and school, and maybe one or two neighbors. I started public school my freshman year of high school, and for the very first time, my world expanded. However, my social circle still consisted of church friends and a neighbor or two who I spent time with on the bus or after school. Most of my friends were from youth group or from Sunday school or people who were friends of my parents or kids of the friends of my parents. In college, I went to a public university, but most of my friends there came from within a Christian organization that I was part of. And then I got married my junior year, and eventually I had children, etc., etc., and my source for connection through all of that was still the church. Now, why does this matter? It means my thoughts about the world around me and about the people who didn't share my faith, about how to vote, how to raise children— how to live in society, was all filtered through what the church taught. Now, this isn't bad per se, I'm not saying that, but I didn't understand the people who I often condemned. I didn't know their needs. I didn't have a good explanation for my core values other than Sunday school answers. I started writing and speaking, and I wrote and taught from what I know. I have a lot of Bible knowledge from many years of growing up in Christian faith. And so I taught from what I know. I taught from what I had learned from Christian speakers and Christian teachers and Christian radio. But eventually, I realized that a lot of what I said, I regurgitated without thinking all that much. This is a formula for potentially repeating misinformation. It means that truth is foundational in there in the message, but it's all tangled up and twisted with human interpretation and societal norms, and it's hard to untangle. Now let's fast forward because you don't really need to hear my entire life story. In my 40s, I stepped outside of the bubble and got connected with some community groups, one for business women especially. This led to having lunch with women of many backgrounds and getting to know them, and I really started searching the Bible in a new way. I wanted to read it as if it were the first time I saw the text, minus the books I'd read or the sermons I heard. And I still love books and sermons and podcasts and all those things. But I have discovered that asking questions is good. And being curious doesn't mean doubting Jesus. Having friends who aren't Christians brings understanding rather than a danger. Even though a lot of my life I was taught that there was a danger outside of the walls of the church. I didn't know it then in my 40s. But now I know I was deconstructing. Let's look at how it typically unfolds. I'll give a couple of statements here, and then we'll go back to my story a little bit. It typically unfolds with questioning assumptions first. Deconstructing faith begins with looking at those assumptions and beliefs that we've had ingrained in us over time. This involves being open to exploring different perspectives and considering alternative viewpoints. Number two, it includes exploring doubts and uncertainty. It means grappling with those doubts about your faith, and it can be challenging, 
but it's a necessary step in a process of self-discovery to really explore those things. Maybe most of your life you've squashed those down because you didn't want to express your doubts and your uncertainties. And this is the time when people begin to bring those up and really look at them. Number three, self-discovery often involves reflecting on personal experiences, both within and outside of the religious context. This can include examining moments of spiritual significance and, again, doubts or maybe conflicts or things that have happened in our own personal experience. For some, there's, there's spiritual abuse and things tangled up in there from the past, and that can be a lot of pain that comes along with it, and so that might be part of that deconstructing process. The fourth thing is that deconstructing faith prompts us to look at core values and beliefs. It's a process of discerning which beliefs resonate with your authentic self and which might have been inherited or adapted without your own personal convictions being there. It also means comparing them with scripture and looking at which beliefs don't have a truly solid ground there. And this is where we realize, well, I've been taught my whole life this particular thing, and then I don't find it in Scripture. The fifth one is embracing complexity. It requires acceptance of how complex our belief systems really are. This means acknowledging that faith can be multifaceted, and it's okay to hold, here's a popular term in podcasts and teachings right now, nuanced and evolving beliefs. It means someone else can believe the gospel, but also live their life in a very different way from ours. The way they practice it and apply is not always the same, and this is sometimes hard to reconcile, and that's why it's complex. The sixth thing is that the process often stirs up a range of emotions, including along with doubt, fear, sadness, and even a sense of liberation. These emotions are a natural part of the journey towards self-discovery and the deconstruction process. The seventh thing is engaging with resources and perspectives. Deconstructing faith often involves reading, attending discussions, engaging with other people's perspectives on religion, spirituality, some philosophy. This broadens our understanding and can provide new insights. It means reading outside of our bubble, respecting people with different perspectives. Number eight, part of the process, is seeking authenticity and integrity. As faith gets deconstructed, We might seek to align our beliefs with our authentic selves. We strive for integrity and honesty in our spiritual journeys. And we might use terms such as being my true self or being real with others. This could be misinterpreted. We're going to get into some misinterpreting in a few minutes. But just be aware that there is a core desire in this process of being authentic and keeping integrity. The ninth thing, we're almost done with the list here, is navigating the uncertainty. So when we're deconstructing faith, it can bring about a period of uncertainty because we don't know our place in the world. Sometimes we're not sure about our relationship with God. We don't really know what's true, what's not true. This uncertainty is a fertile ground for self-discovery because it encourages us to be introspective, to grow, 
And if someone's background is really full of unbiblical legalism or spiritual abuse, there's often a time of questioning God too. And this is just part of the sorting process. Sometimes we panic in this moment. We panic when we know somebody who's going through this, but it's really important to know that this is part of the process. Uh, Number 10, reconstructing and rediscovering beliefs. After the deconstruct and after examining everything, people might engage in a process of reconstruction where they carefully choose and build a belief system that's more aligned with their authentic self and their current understanding of God and the world. All of that starts to come into alignment and figuring out like, um, this is my place in the world and this is my understanding of God. We have two more. Number 11, fostering compassion and empathy. During the process, individuals often find they develop a greater sense of compassion and empathy for others because they begin to recognize the diversity of beliefs and experiences within the human experience, and it gets them outside of their bubble, and they realize that there's a lot of other ways of thinking out there. Some of them align, some of them don't, and you might become more empathetic and more compassionate toward people who have a different understanding. And remember, Empathy and compassion don't mean you have to approve somebody else's point of view, but you can have a deep connection with them in knowing that you just recognize those diverse differences. The last one here, and this is not an all-encompassing list. This is just some of the things that are part of the journey. The last one is embracing a continual journey. Deconstructing faith is not a one-time event. It's a continual process of exploration, reflection, and growth. It encourages a lifelong commitment to self-discovery and understanding, and this idea that we never really arrive. We don't always have all the answers. There was a time when I did think I had all the answers, and now I realize that I have a lot more questions than I have answers, and that's okay. Ultimately, Deconstructing faith can be a transformative aspect of self-discovery. It can lead to a deeper connection with our authentic self, a deeper connection with God, and a more nuanced and compassionate understanding of the world. It invites us to engage in a journey of introspection, growth, and evolving beliefs. For me, it was pausing before I would just repeat something I'd always heard and repeated. It has been keeping my eyes and ears open to what people outside of my faith say. It's listening for words and phrases, we call these Christian ease, that make faith sound exclusive to people inside of a club, and it doesn't make it feel comfortable for people who haven't grown up in our particular environment to step into that world if in their, let's say in their deconstructing, they're exploring a relationship with Jesus. And they're thinking, well, whatever I came from here, I want something new. And if we make it so exclusive that it sounds like they're not part of the club, then it just ends that exploration process there. And so I'm more alert to that. It also has made me more passionate about truth and in a simpler way. It's looking at scripture for the face value of scripture. And yes, I love commentaries and I still read them, but really I'm passionate about what it says right there on the page and not in a complicated way that makes it sound like I have to have a Bible degree in order to understand scripture. So those are just some of the things that have been part of my deconstruction process. 
And if that word is still hanging you up, remember, this is not walking away from faith, although it can be for some people. So I think it's important right here for us to look at some of those misconceptions. There are some misconceptions that people have about the process. They can arise from a lack of understanding or maybe from cultural and societal narratives. Perhaps it's because that word, deconstruction, has been presented in a negative way inside of the church. It's also because we've seen some very committed Christians walk away or walk in a different direction from belief. And then I've seen Christians, I myself have made the assumptions that someone who deconstructs is on a path toward leaving faith altogether. It's important to remember that their stories are still unfolding too. They're still processing. It's just in a very public way. And so wherever they are in their journey is what gets reported in the news. So it's important for us to let them have some space as well. So let's look at those misconceptions. I have a few of them here. I know there are more. I'm going to boil it down to 10 and try to keep it super short um, just so that we can come to an understanding without going into too much detail. Misconception number one, deconstruction equals disbelief or atheism. Some people believe that deconstructing faith automatically leads to a complete rejection of all religious beliefs, maybe resulting in atheism or agnosticism. However, many individuals who deconstruct their faith still hold to some form of spirituality or belief in a higher power. Misconception two, it's a rejection of religion altogether. Kind of ties into number one there. People may assume that deconstructing faith means rejecting all religious institutions and practices. However, it often involves a re-evaluation and reinterpretation of one's beliefs within the context of their chosen faith or spirituality. Misconception three, it's a sign of weak faith. Some may view deconstruction as a sign of somebody who's faltering in their faith. However, it's important to understand that questioning and exploring our beliefs can actually lead to a deeper and more robust faith. So it's important to not uh, think so critically of somebody who's asking questions and doing some deconstructing. Misconception four, it's a negative or destructive process. Deconstructing, as I said earlier, can imply a negative process, but in reality, it's about critically examining and reconstructing one's faith in a way that more closely aligns with our personal beliefs and our experiences and really in God's working on our lives. Misconception five, thinking it's a hasty or impulsive decision. Some people might think that deconstruction happens in moments of doubt and then with a snap of a finger, like, I'm okay, I'm deconstructing. In reality, it often involves a thoughtful, deliberate process of reflection and introspection. And I can tell you this from my own experience. That is exactly, this is like a 15-year process for me of thoughtfully thinking through, wondering, am I alone? (laughs) Are other people thinking the same thing? It is not hasty or impulsive. It's very slow and unfolding for me. And like like peeling back the layers is how I would visualize it. This layer and this layer and this layer until it's just like, whoa, we're at the core here now and this feels really vulnerable. That's where I'm at in that 15-year process. It's probably been longer than that, but that's really where like my most recent memories go. 
when I think about de deconstruction. Misconception number six, it's a phase that passes quickly. We might think that somebody is going through a temporary phase and they're just going to come out of it and return to their original beliefs. Well, this can happen because we know, you know, as a teenager, we probably can relate to this idea of like trying to figure out identity and momentarily saying, I don't want anything to do with the faith community. But as we grow and mature, um, we realize that this is not just a phase. This is maybe something that's leading to a deeper understanding of faith. And so it's taking us to a new place and not just a phase that we're going to snap out of and go back to how we were before. Misconception seven, it's about rejecting God or any higher power. This is a misconception because many individuals go through this process still maintaining a belief in God, and it may change, but it doesn't mean they've lost their belief. Misconception eight, it leads to moral relativism or lack of values. Maybe there's this fear here that it leads to a loss of our moral grounding and individuals who deconstruct are like falling into this term moral relativism, which when I think back to my younger years and apologetics, um, it was really all about this idea that, you know, I, I definitely don't have a belief that all roads lead to the same God. And yet my understanding has changed a lot in that I understand that maybe some of the people I labeled as false prophets in the past actually were just explaining my own faith in a different way. And so um, these are the things that we really have to wrestle with. And people who are deconstructing often grapple with questions of ethics and morality, and they're trying to find new frameworks and understand right and wrong. And what does the Bible really say about this? And so it doesn't mean a lack of values. It might just mean it, that wrestling process. Misconception nine, it's a solo journey. It's deeply personal, but it doesn't necessarily mean going it alone. Many individuals who are deconstructing seek out community and resources and look for support during this process. And number 10, it's there's a misconception that it's always painful. While deconstruction can be challenging, it can be emotionally charged, it's not always marked only by pain. It can also bring moments of liberation, clarity, and personal growth. It can be very freeing. So as I summarize these misconceptions, it's important to recognize that the process of deconstructing faith is highly individual and individuals experience it in different ways. These misconceptions highlight the need for us to be open-minded, to be empathetic, and to have a willingness to engage in conversations about faith and personal growth with sensitivity and respect for one another. Now, I'd like to talk about some positive outcomes. Deconstructing can lead to positive outcomes, and it might sound like this is a negative thing in the conversations you've had, but for me, it has solidified by my faith, and yet it has profoundly changed me as well. So these are some of the positive outcomes that others may have experienced or that I've experienced in a process of deconstructing. Number one, a deeper self-understanding. Through the process of personal growth, I've gained a deeper understanding of myself, my values, my goals, my calling, my relationship with God, my understanding of how the gospel applies to my life. All of that has come through this process of examining and sifting through. Number two, stronger boundaries. 
This kind of personal growth often involves people learning to set and maintain healthy boundaries, and that could include calling out teachings that are like not in the Bible, (laughs) not in a confrontational way, but in a a boundaries kind of a way, like I'm not going to participate here because this is unbiblical. And sometimes for some people that means finding a different church. That's where the boundaries come in. It can lead to more fulfilling and balanced relationships overall because those boundaries give us an understanding and give us a framework. And so boundaries are not always a, um, they're not a barrier is how I'm trying to say that. Um, Another positive outcome is meaningful friendships. As you evolve in your faith, you may attract and connect with other people who align closely with the same process as you. The conversations can be very meaningful, even if you've known somebody for many, many years, and suddenly you start having a conversation and you all of a sudden have this realization of like, me too, I'm asking those same questions. That can be really a joyful connection and really be meaningful. Number four, another positive outcome is increased empathy and understanding. I have personally experienced greater empathy for others who are on their own unique journeys. And it can lead to a deeper appreciation for diversity of beliefs, other people's values, and especially other people's experiences. And knowing that whatever prompted their journey might be very different from what's prompting mine. So when you start to have empathy, you also begin to make fewer assumptions about people and ask more questions. And that leads to a fifth benefit, enhanced communication skills. Learning how to communicate your evolving beliefs and values is a, it's a huge challenge. It's like, now, how do I put this in words? How is this going to sound? <laughs> it can lead to improved communication skills, practicing having conversations, practicing not jumping in and making assumptions. And this can really benefit all areas of life. I'm still learning this one because I'm not even sure which spaces feel safe yet of where I can express, like, this is what God's doing in my life. Um, you have to know where those spaces feel safe because not everyone's on the same journey and their responses might not be the same. The sixth thing that I've seen as a benefit is greater resilience. Going through the process of this kind of personal growth can help you be resilient and adaptable, which helps you navigate change and challenges in new ways. I'm learning how to speak without feeling strong emotions about everything. I feel like maybe my next step should be having a counselor. I really do. I think I need to meet with a counselor because I feel like I've gone about as far as I can on my own with figuring out how to tone down some of my responses, but a counselor would be amazing. So um, shoot me a message if you know where like the best place to begin. Otherwise, I know that several of my friends have sponsorships with Faithful Counseling, so I can look there too. Um, number seven improved mental and emotional well-being. When you take steps towards personal growth, it can improve your emotional well-being because you gain a sense of purpose, fulfillment, self-acceptance. You maybe find those people and you don't feel so alone. It, It can also be a challenge, but it can have this growth effect as well. Uh, The eighth thing that can happen is an alignment with purpose. For me, aligning my actions and decisions with long-term life goals has led to a growing sense of purpose and fulfillment. Your journey of personal growth can serve as inspiration for others who are on a similar path, and it gives them a sense of encouragement and a sense of camaraderie. 
Number nine, the benefit of deeper spiritual connection. This is more meaningful connection with beliefs. That is, this is a benefit I've seen in my own life, is just feeling a deeper connection with God, even when I'm out and about and just talking to him out loud on a walk. Part of it is because I've removed those layers that I've talked about. And when I'm more vulnerable with other people, it means I'm I'm very vulnerable with, with God in those conversations. And the last one is increased creativity and innovation. Personal growth often involves thinking outside of the box, considering new perspectives, and this can lead to increased creativity in more than one aspect of your life. This podcast itself is evidence of that for me. If you've been here since the beginning, this is episode number 169. If you've been here since episode number one, you know this show has evolved. And as you become more self-aware and aligned with your values, you find that you're better equipped to lead and influence others in a positive way as well. Now, as we think about personal growth through deconstructing, remember this is a dynamic and ongoing process. We can embrace it with an open heart and a willingness to learn, and that can lead to multiple positive outcomes that extend way beyond just personal relationships. Now, I can't give a list of positives without giving a few negatives too, because there are some really big challenges. I've already been alluding to some of them, so I will keep this list short. There are five things here that I've seen that can happen, and there are more, but these are these are some that I've discovered that I've struggled with. One of the things is we can be motivated by hurt. Without guidance, deconstruction can be motivated by us either running away from something that hurt us, or it can be running away and leading to a more self-destructive direction. And this is where a counselor can help us sort it through, a good friend, a spouse. But we have to be sure that the process isn't just reactive. And this is where sometimes with relationships, I've waited a while before I've made a move. Like when we made a decision to change to a different church, it didn't happen overnight. It was a process of conversations with me and my husband. And a lot of it was just understanding that we're not being reactive. We're not upset about something. We aren't leaving because we're angry. Um, so we, ha- for somebody who's been abused within a church, that's a whole nother healing process that's also accompanying this. And so we want to be really careful that, let's say, our wrestling with the relationship with who God is and and his love for us can be really filtered through that hurt in a way that we might land on something that isn't true. For example, if God's people hurt me, therefore God doesn't love me. That's a false assumption that comes when we're motivated by hurt. So it's important for us to know that that can be a negative outcome if we're not processing through it carefully. Number two, judging in comparison. Relationships don't always survive deconstruction, or they survive, but they move in a different way. And if we offer support to someone else's process, they're more likely to reciprocate, and we will also receive support for ours as well. So it's really important for us to not compare or judge when somebody takes a step that's a deconstructing move. Because we might find ourselves, like I did, I had no idea that I'd be the one in those shoes later, that I'd be the one processing through things. So we can keep bridges without burning them. Sometimes it means we're at other ends of the bridge for a while, and you're here, and I'm there, and 
And we wave in a friendly way across the bridge, but we don't burn the bridge. And maybe at some point we come to an understanding in the middle of that and we find ourselves surprisingly at the same place again and we pick up where we left off. And so um, judging and comparison is one way of leading to burning those bridges and compassion and empathy is one way of keeping those open. Uh, That's something I'm working and practicing in my own life. Number three is echo chambers. If we gravitate only to people who think in the same way, we can end up in an echo chamber. I talked to that, about that a few episodes ago, and I will link to that in the show notes as well. But diversity is good. It's good for us to be in a place where we don't all think the same. Now, a couple of minutes ago, I talked about safe spaces, and this is where during the processing, sometimes you might find yourself being the only one. And there isn't a lot of diversity where there aren't multiple points of view. It is really hard to be in that space as well. Um, So not only do we have to watch out for echo chambers where we're with all people who think alike, but we also need to cultivate spaces where it's very diverse and where it's okay to have conversations about very different perspectives on things. So it is a challenge to figure out is do, do I belong here? Do I not belong here? And yet, steering away from just gravitating to echo chambers where everybody's complaining about something and and you're all aligned with the complaints. That's not a good place either. So diversity is good. Number four, arrogance. We can easily become arrogant and come across as self-righteous. I've talked in other episodes about my past struggle as somebody who's very much like the Pharisees in the Bible and that arrogance and self-righteousness can come across whenever we take a different path. It can almost come across as if we're letting other people know, hey, I took the better path, and that's really not, that. there's no place for that here. It can be really hard to explain your process to friends without some assuming you're trying to sound better than them. But I think of it as a parallel journey. It's possible to grow in our faith while moving in different directions from others. I like to think of how a tree can grow side by side with another tree in the forest and yet have a very different shape and a different direction. And yet those trees grow up parallel to one another and ultimately support one another when the storms come. I know that I can get very enthusiastic when God opens my eyes to something. I can become so enthusiastic that I want everybody to think that way. And that can come across in a really arrogant way when we're like just so passionate about something. So it's really important to remember when we're with all our friends, the other trees, that we're growing and moving in different directions and yet in the same direction at the same time. And that um, we're motivated by love and not by arrogance or self-righteousness. The last one here that can be one of the pitfalls of deconstruction is impatience. I want change to happen yesterday. I want all the problems in the world to be solved today. (laughs) It's hard to be patient in the process of growing and developing. Personal growth can sometimes create temporary distance in relationships, and then we're impatient for that person to catch up. I know in our marriage, my husband and I have had different paces of spiritual growth over the years, and there have been some times where I'm so excited about what God's doing in my life, and then my husband's just really in a a status quo kind of place. And then he's had some incredible growth in the last few years where it's like, wow, this is amazing. I love our conversations. And so people change and relationships adapt and they evolve. But if we expect our friends to understand us, process our deconstruction at the same pace as us, or 
If we're the ones going through a deconstruction, we want them all to be on board with us. We can shatter friendships by becoming impatient. And so those are just some (laughs) of the things that can be uh, challenging when we're going through a process of deconstructing. Now, as we start to think about wrapping up, because this episode's going to get long if I keep on going, I want to look at some helpful things we can do for someone who is deconstructing their faith. Now, these are helpful things if you're the one who's deconstructing and maybe you can, um, you know, help other people a little bit. But let's look at it and how we can support our friends, because more than likely, we all know somebody who's going through deconstructing. And so number one, we can practice active listening. One of the most powerful ways to support others is by actively listening to their experiences and perspectives and avoid making assumptions or judgments. Instead of focusing on what we want to tell them to do, we can focus on truly understanding their point of view. And I know this is hard for me because I'm a fixer, so I always want to give a solution. But really what we want to do is ask open-ended questions to encourage people to share more about their journey. And so we can listen more and we can, we can begin to understand. The second thing we can do is cultivate empathy and understanding. And I say cultivate because we have to practice it. It doesn't always come automatically. Our emotions get mixed up and then it causes us to react. So we want to seek to understand the emotions and the challenges that the other person might be facing. Put yourself in their shoes and consider how their unique journey might be impacting their thoughts, their feelings, and their actions. Validate their experiences, even if they differ from your own. And that's helpful for us to, I don't know about you, but when somebody validates me, it's like, I feel so much peace knowing that they heard me and they understood. Number three, offer non-judgmental support. Avoid imposing your beliefs, your values, and your solutions onto them. Instead, offer non-judgmental support and let them know that you respect their autonomy. You respect their individuality. Make it clear that you're there to listen, provide a safe space, and offer assistance only if they ask for it. Number four, resist the urge to take their process personally. I'm a parent of adult children, so those of you who are parents of teenagers, adults, and those who are of an age of reason where they could be wrestling through some of these things, it's really hard for us not to take it personally. I mean, we raise them. So of course, we want them to think the way we think. (laughs) But someone else's process is not an affront to us personally. It can feel as if they've rejected you. But different beliefs do not negate the love and connection you share. Be really cautious not to accidentally imply that someone else's worth is tied to whether or not their beliefs align with yours. And the last one here, number five, avoid imposing expectations. Allow the freedom to explore and discover where their process with God takes them. Be curious rather than confrontational. Instead of approaching a conversation with defensiveness, approach with curiosity and the desire to understand. Ask open-ended questions rather than offering statements of correction. I'm working on all five of these things myself, and I've discovered that the underlying qualities of love and grace, when applied, bring unexpected change in me. 
I hope this conversation helps you in your process of finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. Remember, diversity in beliefs enriches our lives. It offers us new perspectives and opportunities for growth. It's a chance to learn from one another, to expand our understanding, to cherish the unique bonds that we share. Whether it's the bonds with somebody who loves Christ or whether it's somebody who's questioning Christ. In accepting and respecting each other's journeys, we foster a profound connection that transcends our differences. And together, then, we can navigate this path of understanding with empathy, love, and an unwavering commitment to deep and lasting relationships. Remember that fourth definition of deconstruction that I read to you from Merriam-Webster? To take apart or demolish something, especially for reuse of its parts. Life repurposed means we take something apart, and we reuse the parts that are worth something. It isn't trashing the whole thing. It's, as my fellow podcasting friend Amy Fritz calls it, untangling our faith. I'm here for you if you're deconstructing too. I'd love for you to feel free to reach out to me on email or my socials. You'll find the links to all of my social media profiles and my email at the top of the page at michellerayburn.com. Now, before you go, I want to tell you two things that I've been listening to that I think might help you that are also related to this journey of untangling and deconstructing. One, I listened to a recent podcast episode from my friend Amy Fritz, who I just mentioned, and she was talking with her guest, Rebecca Davis, on the Untangled Faith podcast. This was an episode titled Untwisting Scripture, Does God Really Want to Break Us? This episode has a helpful conversation about the role of critical thinking when it comes to biblical interpretation. Amy and Rebecca talked about uh, teaching how the church teaches on brokenness and suffering, and how even some of the songs we sing in church indicate that God wants to break us. And I'd love to have you listen in and see if you agree or disagree to their discussion on what the Bible really says about whether God wants to break us. This is a great introduction to the concept of deconstructing and really pulling apart. And Rebecca talks about her book. So really good episode. I will link to Untangled Faith podcast in the show notes as well. And then the other podcast episode I just listened to, and I'm going to see if we can get Ike Miller here as a guest soon. But Ike Miller has a book coming out. I listened to his podcast that's titled the same thing. It's um, the Good Baggage podcast. And he had a guest on there, Shannon Plate. And the episode was titled Dysfunctional Communication, How Our Childhood Trauma Impacts Our Adult Interactions and What We Can Do About It. Shannon Plate is a licensed clinical professional counselor, and they talked about the impact of our childhoods on our communication and how we can work to communicate more effectively now. And the description of the Good Baggage podcast really is intriguing to me. Um, It says, typically, when we think of baggage, we think of all the ways it makes us bad at relationships. Baggage is more than what makes us bad at relationships. Baggage is the pain we carry and the lessons it has taught us. But what if it's not all bad? What if our difficult childhoods also packed some really good relationship stuff in those bags? What if the pain we carry actually prepared us to thrive in relationships? This podcast is about finding the good things packed in our bags and leveraging them for the flourishing of our relationships now. I love that description. It just sounds a lot like my mission with the Life Repurpose podcast. 
So um, I will link to that in the show notes, the Good Baggage podcast. And Ike Miller, the host of the show, has a new book coming out shortly, right after this episode that you're listening to right now airs. It's for sale now on pre-order, but if you pre-ordered it now, you're going to have it like right away because it's releasing now. It has the same title as the podcast, Good Baggage, and the subtitle is How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. I will link to that book in the show notes too because it's on my to-be-read list and I know I'm going to be listening to it or reading it very soon. Oh, friends, this has been a heavy episode in some ways, so I want to leave you with encouragement as we wrap up. If you're deconstructing, you're not alone. If you're concerned about someone who is deconstructing, you're not alone. Let's care for and respect one another in love as we seek to live a life repurposed by the love of Jesus. I will have all of the things we talked about here in a summary and links to the resources in the show notes at michellerayburn.com slash 169. I hope to connect with you there, and I would love to have you share this episode with a friend. If you know somebody who is deconstructing and you think they would love to hear this, or if you know someone who's concerned about someone who's deconstructing, I'd love to have you share a link to this episode. It's on all your favorite podcast platforms, but if you don't know where to begin, just go to my website, michellerayburn.com slash 169, grab the link and share that with a friend, and then they can pick their favorite platform to listen to the episode. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for being here. There's going to be a discussion resource, you know it, that's going to go out to my mailing list with this resource. All of the rest of them live in the Patreon community for Life Repurpose Plus if you miss some of those. And so I'd love to have you join me there and get that and other bonus resources. So I will see you next week. I have a guest interview coming up that I know you're going to love. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 